Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the Seminole Wrap Podcast. We're recording here August 14th. So football season, man, less than two weeks away. Hard to believe. Uh, I know it doesn't start with a bang, but at least they're on the field, and that's what counts. I'm your host, Brian Pellerin, here with John Marchant. And uh, no Max this week, the, our youngest, our young guy, who's actually soon to be Bleacher Reports. Uh, congrats to him while we're at it. But uh, swapping him out while he moves up to Tallahassee and uh, bringing in Tommy Mir. Tommy. Thanks for jumping on in his place, man. I know you've been out at practice a, a decent amount over the last few weeks. We brought you on two weeks ago for, for practice reports. And so uh, appreciate you making some time for us. Yeah, no problem. And uh, congrats to Max, actually. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Pr- proud of our, uh, our our resident young guy who keeps John and I uh, roped in the, to the young, cool things. And uh, John, if you, I did make fun of you in last week's Brian McFadden episode, too. I called, I said you were taking another Veterans Week off. Oh yeah, I gotta. It's like training camp, man. I just don't need to be there. That's <laughs> just just roll the ball out there, and then I'll be ready to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and you look at the team. I, I feel like uh, obviously it's a little different. They don't get to take those same weeks off. Uh, they had their second scrimmage. I think it was their second scrimmage uh, this week. Might have been. I think it was second, regardless. Um, and they made the trip over to UNF to continue kind of their their fall camp over there. Obviously, a, a fun experience for them to just get off campus and do something different. Uh, Tommy, I'll go to you first, man. What have you seen so far this week in in reports out of practice or anything and that's kind of jumped out or anything from the scrimmage that you think is, is is important for the people to know about? It seems like it seems like Johnny Wilson is is still progressing into like a big role in, yeah. in the offense. It seems like they're relying on him a lot. Um, it seems like Benson 
is good. He's well, I mean, he's been good the entire camp. Um, the coaches seem pretty pretty happy with the way that fall camp has progressed and is progressing this offseason, really going into uh you know, week zero. Yeah, and I really like you went to Johnny Wilson because I feel like every time I open up my Twitter feed, it's just it's Johnny Wilson matchup nightmare. I mean, the guy's six seven. And it seems like he's making plays, not just like as a six, seven, I'm a big body throw it up there. Like a, like a tight end would more. He's, he's still making plays down the field, which is good to see. I, I guess that's kind of what you'd, you'd hope out of a transfer. And, and I mean, John, I know we've talked about it a lot, the, the need to have a receiver pop. Uh, if Johnny Wilson's going to be that guy, or at least give you something in a matchup where, you know, Jordan Travis maybe doesn't have to be that precise. Just, Hey, there's a huge guy over there. He's taller than that guy. Go get it. Absolutely. I mean, we talked a lot last year in a bunch of our episodes about how Florida State did not have a number one receiver. And that's and and again, also the Florida State had the worst receiving core in the conference. So it, you needed to kind of flip that roster around, find somebody. Right. You, we thought you might have a couple guys like Malik McLean and a few other guys who might be candidates for that number two spot. But you don't have that that number one guy. And so I know Florida State's been looking for them. It has to have been a priority for Mike Norvell over the last couple off seasons. Hopefully somebody, um, whether it's Winston Wright or, or Young or somebody, kind of pops in and, like you were saying, and takes that spot, that role. I, the two biggest things you need, because we know that that the way that Mike Norvell does his offense, right, you're, he's going to create one-on-one matchups for his guys, right, whether it's a running back or a receiver. So you need to be able to uh, – create separation right and make the catch that's all you really got to do right make yeah. hit your mark create separation and mike Norvell's scheme will do a lot of the rest so and that's kind of what's been so frustrating i think um especially over the course of last season you hit a lot of those explosive plays but you had no consistency in the passing game and that's where i think a lot of fans especially us are really looking for uh, a lot of progress to be made that season yeah and i and i think when when you talk about that separation being I mean, six, seven, there's not a lot of guy, DBs out there that are going to match up with that. And maybe separation isn't, I've got two or three steps on this guy. Maybe it's, I've got six, seven inches on this guy and you can just put it up and there is your separation. Uh, and what they do in the running game obviously helps out a lot. And we'll, we'll get to some of the running game stuff too. Uh, Cause we're going to go over those survey results that a lot of you guys were involved in, which was fun. Go ahead, John. Well, yeah, I think you're hundred percent right, Brian. I think um, besides creating separation, I think one thing we didn't see a lot of last year was disappointing also from this unit was their contested catches, right? Yeah. I mean, college is not like the NFL where the NFL is a contested catch league, but at the, at the college level, you still need to be able to make those catches. And I thought, especially like the Jacksonville state, like to Tommy's point earlier, the Jacksonville state game last year was um, a huge disappointment in that arena where they were losing contested catches to Jacksonville state DBs. Right. And that's just inexcusable. You That can't happen. So, yeah. and, and I know Dugans took a lot of hit for that, the wide receivers coach, uh, but that's got to, that's something that has to improve this year. Yeah. And, and talking about it, I mean, obviously like we talked about, uh, or would talk about, talk about, talk about, talk about how many times can I say it in a two sentence phrase, but you know, if Johnny Wilson makes that step, you do, you, you have brought in guys like Micah Pittman and, and do span to be um, kind of that explosive aspect of the team right the 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 speed that that extra kind of x factor who can who can break one for us and i know mike norvell kind of mentioned that um in his i guess his post scrimmage press conference talking about their ability to hit explosive plays they hit a couple of them um and one thing i thought that was interesting from their jacksonville thing too was was michael Pittman talking about jordan travis 
earlier this week, he said he is, let me get them. I want to get the quote exactly right. He's been super impressive. I told him I haven't seen a guy like him since Jay Herb. And that's uh, his former quarterback at Oregon. And now the chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert. Um, again, he doesn't say you are Justin Herbert. He just says, I haven't seen a guy like him since then. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really know the names of the quarterbacks he's had in between, but uh, I, I gotta say that's, pretty high praise and and you've got to like that i mean you'd like that out of your quarterback it's crazy that you mentioned that because you know sitting at practice i i was standing next to like winston wright and a couple of the other guys on the sidelines and you know travis travis threw this bomb to Pittman, and like it like came over like came over his shoulder and it, it it was caught probably was like just a perfect play like that i've seen in practice and Wright was like, man, Jordan Travis is so good. Like the whole like sideline was talking about how good Jordan Travis is, you know, and I guess it speaks to what the team feels. Yeah. Or how the team feels about his, his play making ability. And it's good when you, when you hear it from the receivers, right. I mean, you know, he's putting the ball where they're like, wow, that was a great, like they're like, yeah. you know, they feel like the pat, the throws are helping them on top of just like, Hey, I caught it. It's not only that, and the defensive sideline too. That same day, you, like they, he threw a pass to Johnny Wilson, and the defensive sideline was like, "Oh my god!" Like because <laughs> Wilson had like four or five steps on a undersized defensive back, and does, even the defensive sideline was like, "Oh my god!" That was like that's going to be that's going to be a touchdown, and it was. It was a really good play. And I think that's that's also so important is is him taking that next step. I mean, Brian, Brian McFadden mentioned a lot last week that, you know, it's, he called this a, a almost uh, needs to be a, a almost, a, a, he didn't say it this way, but it's like a put up or shut up year. You know, it's like, this needs to be the year for Jordan. This is the year he needs to progress. And it's good to see the receivers, even those, you know, who have just transferred in to say, Hey, yeah, this guy is it. And, and, you know, I, I know maybe he's not looked at across the country as like a, a, top tier quarterback, but I think he's a guy who's people, he's going to be a household name, hopefully by the end of the year because of what he can do both running the ball and with this extra added, if they could just catch a few of the balls that they missed last year, I mean, they would be in a much better place. And it's not like they're that far off. I mean, John, we talked about it all last year. It's just, if they make a couple of extra catches in and just top of my head, like you mentioned, Jacksonville state game, Notre Dame game, um, Florida, just a couple of balls just stay in guys' hands, and it's a totally different season. Yeah, just hold on to the ball. Yeah, 100%. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, even Clemson, I mean, there were, I mean, well, yeah. that game wasn't as close as it looked, but, the, you know, they had it close for a little while, score wise. Um, but yeah, the Jacksonville State game, man, that was so frustrating because they just dropped balls all over the place against guys that they should have dominated. And yeah. it, it's, I don't know, I don't, there's nothing left to say about that game at this point, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we could bear that one and let Still it go. Mad about it. Still mad about it. Well, I, look, I mean, looking around, it doesn't seem like there's all that much defensively. I mean, I mentioned those explosive plays earlier, but it, uh, uh, Adam Fuller said he was pretty happy with they once they gave up those explosive plays, they locked down. So I mean, nothing. I, I didn't. I don't see anything there that really was like whoa. No, well, that's that's Adam Fuller's scheme, right? We should all know that by now. Yeah. He's he's really aggressive. He's going to dial it up on first down and third down. He's going to try to get you off the field as soon as possible, and that means that you know you're going to he puts his guys one on one on islands, and they're going to get beat sometimes. That's how it works, you know. 
Um, They're, they're going to take that though. It's almost like those Oregon teams when they have Marcus Mariota, you know, he was putting up all these points on the board, but they had their defense just sell out, right? Because either they're going to get a stop or they're going to give up a touchdown, which just gives it back to their offense anyway. So they're they're almost like kind of playing that war uh, against of attrition with with their opponent, saying we bet there are our offense can score more points than yours can. Let's you know, let's give our offense the ball as often as possible. I, I don't think that a strategy like that this year would would necessarily be be bad. I don't think that they should do that. But again, we're talking about a defense that is going to be aggressive. It is going to give an explosive place, right? You just hope that with Jordan Travis's development and the development of these receivers, we're talking about that you can be consistent enough in putting points on the board. Maybe you're scoring 30, 40, 45 uh, points a game that, that you start to win a lot more of those, those close games that they lost last year turn into W's this year. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's, it doesn't seem that far away. And like you mentioned, if they can, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like we're far away from a Marcus Mariota level offense, but if you're at least <laughs> explosive, I mean, right. it gives you a chance, right? And we've talked about that all, all, all off season here. Is is if they can find that explosion on offense, then they could have a puncher's chance. And the defense really wasn't all that bad last year. I guess the one area you still have to worry about is what that offensive. Well, I mean, you still have to worry about the receivers because I think you have to see it in action before you really believe it's uh, an improvement there. But I mean, the offensive line as well is another area and. It just seems like they're not – we're not really 100% sure on what that group's going to look like just yet. I Yeah, right. But I think it's fair to believe that this defensive unit will be a top three or top four unit in the conference, right? I think that's safe to say. They got the talent. I think a lot of these guys now, you've moved on from the Willie Taggart era. You kind of cycle some guys out. The guys that happen here, like, say, Fabian Lovett, they're the kind of leaders. They've been here for several years now. Um, you know, Adam Fuller and, and Woodson have got a chance to develop some of these guys on the back end, you know, Travis Jay or Kevin Knowles, or I get Jamie Robinson, who, who Fuller talked about in, in the press conference the other day. So, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's guys there that they can, again, if they've bought in, if they truly bought in, there should be some progress here. I think we're going to see a solid unit. I think that's safe to assume. I think so. Oh, definitely. Yep, definitely. I, I think the defense is going to be good. Uh, the The defensive line has been pretty impressive, I, you know, and in the, the secondary, uh, McClendon. McClendon, I was looking at him the other day and I was watching them. They're just doing bag drills, but I was trying to figure out like who popped, like, who stood out out of out of the defensive lineman. And he was one of the guys that was just like, wow, I was like, like that guy's got fast. He's got crazy good hands. Like he he turns the corner well. Like he's, I I like him at least in that particular moment at practice. You know he's good, but that's that's what stood out to me about him. Yeah, I I I'm so happy that you mentioned him. This McClendon went from a guy uh, back of the season before last. He he's just a kind of an overlooked player. He didn't play very well, and over the course of last season, he just improved so much tremendously that towards the last couple of games of last season, especially in the Florida game, he played really, really well. And I think 100%, Tommy, I think you're right. He's going to be up there with Lovett as one of the most important players on defense. Yeah, exactly. And and Lovett, has, Lovett and Cooper have, have both been tremendous to me in, in camp. Have you uh, have you been able to see, and I'll, I'll backtrack it, but on that offensive line, kind of what have you seen there? Uh, you see new guys stepping up. That's that's what you see there. there there's been an influx of talent, and you see, I mean, you, you see the new guys. You, you see the vets that are 
you know, rotating in. I think that they're um, they're building a strong unit. It's the depth is going to be a problem when you start mixing and matching different positions. But that's what they're doing right now. They're trying to cross train multiple people, you know, in, into these different positions in case something happens. So yeah, the offensive line, second string offensive line has been great. Like they hold the pocket well. You know, they hold the run game well against a good run defense. Um, first team has has been good. You don't have to talk about them. It I think when you get down to your third and fourth levels is where you start to see a drop off. And it's not that much, but it, it, as a as a big picture, like it, it's significant, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, I've seen it talked about for NFL stuff, right? It's it's continuity is king when it comes to offensive line. And in college, obviously, you only have guys for a certain number of years. And as John, we've talked about it a bunch, when you're uh, trying to catch up and not reaching blue chip talent up front immediately, like it's it's hard to then, when you know you're going to be replacing these guys who probably aren't starter quality and having to just keep changing pieces, it, it gets harder and harder, but it feels like they're starting to find some consistency there, which is good. Right. It's It's been a really long road, a really slow process. Um, remember, under Tagger, Cam Akers, we had guys who shouldn't be Division One starters, right, okay. at all, um, and they had nothing behind them. Now they went to guys who could start. They're maybe average or something like that kind of starters at the Division One level or the, the ACC conference level. But there was no there's no depth behind them. But now, like Tommy was talking about, there's more of that functional depth. Those guys that you could rely on if you had to. Maybe you can go eight, nine, nine guys deep. I know Ludi, they lost Lyles, right? I'm I'm pretty sure they lost Lyles for the season, is yeah. what I read. Um, so which hurts, you know, but I don't think he was gonna be a starter, but he could have he could have, you know, kind of fought for that spot. But so you go from like 10 guys you trusted down down to like nine. Hopefully, uh, I think most Smith. Yeah, hopefully he's he's okay i think but so that does hurt but <laughs> you have more hands <laughs> <laughs> but you have more of that functional depth that you didn't have in previous seasons where like say if an offensive tackle goes down you're totally screwed yeah. you have no real backup right um that's what's kind of killed them in in other games in, in the you know last season the season before so hopefully this year, finally, we start to, like Tommy was saying, we start to see more of that really good functional depth, some of that talent that comes in. You've got a lot of young, talented guys who you may not see or reap the rewards of until two, three, maybe even four years down the road. But they're in the program, right? And that's the important part. And the guy I, I immediately thought of when you were talking about that, and I, and I don't even think it'll be that long, is Armella. I mean, it's just – I feel like I yeah. constantly just see how well he's doing and how, how – is it a size thing, Tommy? Does is, is he look the part? How does that look out, out there? He looks the part, but yeah. definitely. I, I remember the first day I saw him in practice, I was like – he looks – you know, he's standing next to like a, a senior offensive lineman, and I'm like, man, they, they, they look the same. <laughs> Armella – I haven't got a, a chance to talk to him much, but Armel is cool and he's good. Like yeah. he's he's definitely fills that five star like billing. Um what I wouldn't like to play him this year, but if it has to, I think he's capable. Yeah, I, I think I think he's a guy who's capable of giving you probably at you know average starter ability, probably if you threw him in right now or, or you know, in that in that realm. Um, I like you said, I wouldn't want him out there. I, I'd like to take the year and strengthen him and, and, you know, get him in the program and all that type of stuff. And, um, but I, I, I don't know from everything I see and, and the way he seems to approach the game, it feels like a guy 
uh, he's, a, he's a, a guy who could be like, yeah, he, he could be, if he, you needed him, I wouldn't feel terrible about it. And that's where we talked about before. I mean, I think it was maybe a month ago. Now we did the episode about building the trenches and, and, and they have really, really put the focus there and it's, and it seems to be working. We just talked about the defensive line too. And that's, that's the two key portions of that. You got to look at SAP too. SAP is, he's probably not, he's, well, he's not, I'm not going to say he's not on the same level as Armella, but they're at different stages of their development. But Keishon SAP is, is also going to be a, a really good, solid player when, when it's all said and done to me, like he's, he's huge. I, I remember his, I remember his, like when he committed to FSU, we were staying outside the moor and I'm like from that point until now, like he's a, He's a big player, <laughs> he's a big dude. Like I'll try and take some more pictures of him next time to try and show you guys. But he's he's a such a big guy. And you'll tweet those out at, on your Twitter account, which is uh, it's Seven Toms T O M M S. There you go at Seven Toms. It's where you can find the pictures of just how big Sap is. <laughs> I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and transition awkwardly from that now to the. Uh, the season survey we sent out, I thought the results on this were kind of fun. It's uh, the SB Nation reacts, um, kind of getting the feeling for what the fans think. And I'm just going to let us just talk through some of the questions. Tommy, I know you were part of it. And, and guys, if you are listening to this and hadn't weighed in yet, feel free to jump on this story. I think it's still on the homepage. Um, just a handful of questions. What do you think about the season? Just, you know. Give us your answer. And first one, pretty straightforward. Tommy, you've already answered it. So I'm going to go to you first. Um, we'll try and keep the answers relatively concise because, like I said, it's already a written article. But will FSU beat a rival in 2022? And we're defining rival on here as Clemson, Miami, or UF. I love this question because I'm I'm also a fan. I'm going with like like I said in the article, uh, Miami. Let's let's do it. <laughs> let's all, all the I like talk. where your head's at. <laughs> all the talk. I want to see Teller Van Dyke on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> By the hands of Derek McClendon. <laughs> you know, safe, like sportsman-like, but... John, I feel like you might be less confident. Yeah, I mean, I think you get three chances, right? So right. even if all three are favored against Florida State, odds are maybe Florida State steals one of them. I think that's decent. I'll go with Florida as the most likely. Um, if I had to go a little bit further than that, I'd probably say Clemson, too, and then Miami is the least likely. Not... Again, I agree with Tommy. I would love for them to be the one that they get. That would be incredible. Uh, but Van Dyke is absurd, um, and it sucks that it's happened to two uh, Florida State rivals in a row found a backup QB who ended up being better than their starter. It's stupid. Uh, but I'll go with the Gators as the most likely one. Yeah, I think it's Florida, too. I mean, I, I want to put Clemson probably second. I think it just depends on which version of I, – I think, to me, it's like what version of DJ shows up for Clemson. If you yep. get the DJ we had last year, I think they're once again beatable. And if he's the version he was last year to a level where they change quarterbacks, then you might be in trouble. So, uh, you know, and if he's good, then you probably are in trouble regardless. So I think it just depends right. on what DJ is and, and that's all up there. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, I just, Tyler Van Dyke looked so good last year. I'm just not going to try and slow his role. Uh, this next one was a little interesting. Much I, level, more level-headed opinions than mine. <laughs> 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 but, but I think people will be more happy with your opinion than ours anyway. But the next one, will Jordan Travis throw for over 2,000 yards? I did the math on this one. That's 167 yards a game. John, uh, we briefly talked about this before the show, so I know your answer. I'll let you go first, though. 
Okay, so when you put it that way, 167 yards per game, that seems obviously, of course, right? How can he not? Um, except it, I'm going to go no, although this is tough for me, but it has nothing to do with Jordan Travis. If Travis had the receiving core that he deserves that Florida State should have with the talent level that they should have, of course he would beat it. But them being the worst group in the ACC last year, I just can't. And it's like what Tommy said earlier, I, until I see it, I can't say yes. I just can't. Knowing that this is going to be, again, more of a run-based attack, um, I'm just – again, I think it gets a lot more than the 1,500 got last year, which is 500 more than the year before that. But does it get another 500, 2,000? It's possible, right? I'll, I'll go maybe 55% no, 60% no, 40% and 45 <laughs> yes, he might. That's how close it is, but I, I, I lean no. So I'll go yes, and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to stick it to 12 games because obviously I think if they go six and six, then they'll play a bowl game. So it'd be 13, but I'm just going to cut it off and say 12 because if you're going to give us 13, I mean, we're talking about 140 yards a game. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll say uh, 12 games, but I think he's got to play 12. I think if he gives you 10, then he that's might not, you know, yep. and, and that's that's where you end up in the same limbo where if he, you know, turns an ankle, hope that ranked through and didn't bark my dog. But, you know, if he turns an ankle, I mean, then – 200 yards a game is going to be maybe a little bit harder, especially the way they run the ball. Tommy, I'll let you go ahead next. Oh, no, I, I said yes in the, in the article, but I do agree with John's like, um, I, I had that initial feeling when I, when I first read that question, it was kind of like, uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. It is. Uh, you depend on, right. It depends on a lot <laughs> of different things. It does. Right. Not, not Travis's ability though. Everything else. Right. It's all the, the, <laughs> outside of his control type things. Right. And, yeah. and one of those is probably going to be this next question. Will FSU have a 1000 yard rusher? And I tell me, I probably should have just read your answers before I came to this, but I'm going to go ahead and go first. We'll just cycle through each of us. I say, no, I think Benson probably ends up the closest as my guess on it. But I just think you end up with a bunch of guys around six, 700 yards. Um, and, and I'm not even sure anyone really gets all that close to it unless someone just, consistently breaks off longer runs. I, I'm not really sure you get there. I think you're closer to having a, an all rushing QB. Yeah. An all purpose, <laughs> no, an all purpose yard is back hitting a thousand than, than having a thousand yard rusher. I, I think that the rotation of the running backs is going to be pretty steep. Um, you're not saying that they're not capable. I fully believe in every running back on the roster, especially Rodney Hill, you know, Rodney Hill is going to be good in his progression, but I, I think you're, you're close to having a thousand yard rushing or all purpose yards back instead of just rushing. Um, I agree with you guys. Well, I said this to, to Brian right before we started is uh, the thousand yard rushers that Mike Norvell's offense uh, had before, like when he was at Memphis is when he had statues at QB Jordan Travis is not a statue. Right. So he's going to vulture. We know six, seven hundred, maybe even a thousand yards. Then sometimes he likes to do the split back things where he'll put a receiver back there and he'll run with the receiver. Right. So, no, it's it's not because again, I think this t as a team, I think they could easily cross two thousand yards. I think they'll probably get yeah, more exactly. than twenty five hundred yeah. yards as an offense. But one guy's a thousand. I just I don't see it when you're splitting it so many different ways. Right. And Benson might even get close. Uh, but like like Brian said, you're, you might have three guys or four guys who get 700 plus yards. Right. So it's just, I don't know that anyone's going to cross 1000 except for maybe Travis. I'm going to skip this next question because I think it's, it's loosely defined. It's how confident are you in FSU's success this season? I mean, you know, I guess everyone has different expectations of success, I mean, 
Everyone has different levels of sex of success. Freudian <laughs> slip there. Uh, I did like this one answer though from John Knoll seventy eight. History hurts my confidence, which was a funny response. Uh, the one thing I want to tackle, and I and I don't, I don't think we we probably saved the longer discussion about it for next week. But uh, will FSU win over six games, John? I'm going to say yes. I think most likely seven, and then eight, and then six. So yes, I do think that they go to a bowl game this year. I think that Mike Norvell has to go to a bowl game this year to keep his job. But I do think, again, for some of the reasons we talked about earlier in this pod, I think it happens. Tommy. Yes. <laughs> I, for all the reasons John just John just explained, but I, I do think that this team is going to go six wins. I, if it doesn't, or if the team doesn't, it's you're, you're kind of like back at square one. You can still build from that, but Right. Dude, yeah. It's 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 put up or shut up. And I think that they have the put up. <laughs> right. Get, it's know. just we talked about it before. Right. I mean, it's the puncher's chance. I mean, and actually, John and I were talking about this before we, we were talk, chatting before we started. But I mean, your ball bounces two different ways last year. And just, uh, you know, even the Jacksonville State game, you make a tackle and you have six. And then you mm-hmm. were really close in Clemson and Florida and a handful of others where, I mean, it's one play and next thing you look up, you're at seven or eight. And I, I get that, you know, we've talked about, it was, it was the line of all last season progress isn't linear. So I can't just say, well, that means this year the ball will bounce that way and it'll go seven because there are probably two or three other games that the ball could have bounced the other way and they're back at five anyway. So, I mean, yes. I mean, I don't understand how, how you can expect less than six. I think the expectation is six more than six. I'm with John. I think I expect seven. I would yeah, probably go seven. with seven more likely than seven than six more likely than eight. I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing eight. I, I mean, honestly, if I haven't even if I sat down and looked at the schedule, I could probably find eight. But just like off the top of my head, being like, yeah, they'll win eight. I'm like, ooh, it's gonna be tough. But I think they might. They got a chance. Yeah. I mean, well, you you lose four, which I mean, you know, you've got some combination of probably LSU, Clemson, Florida, Miami. I mean, I guess it depends what Sam Hartman looks like, right? For Wake, with, with I mean, our look, he's going to be back from his injury like <laughs> week before we play. Him. Yeah, and it's it's a non-football. I forget if it was an illness or injury, but his timetable is still unknown. But I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think seven is probably six or seven is probably fair, and I, you know, I think that really about covers it. Um, well, yeah. The last question on there, real quick, is the biggest game at FSU season. Forty-seven uh, percent said LSU. I'm just throwing this in there real quick because that kind of surprised me a little bit. I, I know everyone wants to start on that big thing, but I'm going to go Clemson because that's still the barometer that you have to measure this program with. Uh, so LSU surprised me, but I get it because it's the first game. So yeah, I mean, well, Brian McFadden was on here last week and was like so adamant that the season obviously it starts with LSU, but he was like this need to come out and and set a statement, right? Like, like as if they came out and if it was one and one, it was the end of the world almost. And and I, I don't know if I disagree. I mean, I didn't really challenge him on it because I see, I felt like I saw his point, right. To, to come out and be confident in where you're at to set the stage for the season. Um, but I, I mean, do you want to elaborate on Clemson? Me? Um... Yeah, you've said Clemson. <laughs> well, like, yes, I would like to elaborate on them. Um, <laughs> Uh, let me get my thoughts together. So they had a national championship level elite defense last season. Yeah. But Venables leaves for Oklahoma, which we all thought would never happen. 
Uh, we talked a lot last season about the the holes in in Clemson's armor, kind of showing, starting to show, so to speak, of the cracks uh, in their program. Um, so the defense will still be very, very good. They will not be as good as they were last year. How far and how fast do they fall? We don't know yet. Um, but then the other part of it rests on on DJ, right? Uyunglele, I think. Um, he improved a little bit last season, but he has some real limitations. How good can he become is a real question, right? If he uh, – he's not going to be who they thought he was going to be, right? But if he still continues to progress, they can blow through 10 and 11 wins. Easy. Yeah. But if he doesn't and he still does not continue to improve, you're, again, looking at eight, eight or nine, nine wins, I think. Um, and like you said before, that makes Clemson very beatable. But I do think that – I think Florida State's about the fourth most talented, maybe third, fifth, fourth most talented program in the conference. So that's within striking distance. Are they going to do that every single year? No, but they could, right, if uh, some of the other factors kind of fall their way. So I think Clemson's vulnerable. I don't. I think the run of being perennial national title contenders is very, very over, uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't strike every once in a while. I would. I think I'm agree with the audience on on LSU, and I, I I know I get clowned for being an LSU guy as it is, but I think this LSU team is super vulnerable and is one that gives you credit for beating a power. Um, when right. I'm not quite sure they're there. Um, just if if you listen to our, our my preview episode from I guess it was probably June. Now thinking about it, um, with Brody Miller from the Athletic, um, we kind of went over LSU's entire roster and. I can tell you today, they're not really all that close to being settled at quarterback. Um, it looks like Jane Daniels, the transfer from, I believe, Arizona State, is going to be the guy. Um, the guy who was pushing him was uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, um, who hasn't really seen any significant time at all. He's a hurt, so it looks like it's going to maybe be by default Jane Daniels. Their 60-year senior quarterback, Miles Brennan, isn't there. Uh, it seems like he's just not going to be a starter, just not good enough. Um, and the defense is, I mean, I think they got one of the best defensive lines in the country, which is a problem because they're just so athletic. It's, it's just kind of what LSU breeds over there. Um, but their offensive line isn't deep Their Their receiving core is really good, but their DBs are just, I mean, they've got a, a transfer from ULF yet a transfer from Oklahoma state, a transfer from, I think Georgia. I mean, it's just, it's just like six guys who transferred in uh, Arkansas is another one. And they're just all out there. Like, I don't know. I just don't know. You've got a new coaching staff too. A brand new coaching staff. Right. And they only kept one guy, which is the O-line coach. And so it's like, it's, it's a roster that going to be playing their first game with guys from everywhere, brand new coaching staff. And it's just, I don't, I just don't know what LSU is. I think they're probably a team that finishes the year with eight or nine wins, but in the first game, they could definitely be wide open to be beaten. And by the end of the year, 100%. you look up and you go, wow, that's a, that's an eight win team. We beat to open the year. And it's a totally like, wow. I mean, I, again, I don't know. I LSU might show up and all those tra- I mean, the kid from Oklahoma state was all big 12 and he's a top rated kid for the draft. And all I hear from about the kid from UL is that LSU tried to recruit him to begin with kind of fell off because they were paying attention to another kid and let him slip away. So he's talented enough to be there as it is. And it's like, okay, so it looks like they just pulled in a ton of top-tier D1 talent. But game one, are they all going to just click and be an elite defense? Like I don't know. Yeah. 
That's, that's a good point. Well, right. I guess the the real part of this question is the way that the question was worded was the biggest game of the year. Yeah. Because I agree with everything that you said. And the, and again, what Tommy said earlier, it, this is going to be a couple of years away from the team that Brian Kelly wants. I think LSU is overall more talented than Florida State is at this point. Correct. But they're but like Tommy said, it's a brand new coaching staff. It's all new systems. It, it's a big change between Orgeron and Kelly. It has to be right because we know who <laughs> we know yeah. about Orgeron and we know about Kelly. They're they, two they, very different guys. And they fired Orgeron six games into the season. Then he was like some kind of interim coach for six games. It was it was, yeah, it was a very weird, weird setup. Yeah. <laughs> right. So and you lose some guys. You know, guys are going to transfer out because they loved Orgeron, and then you have all those transfers in. Yeah, it's good. We I agree with you. We don't know what else he's going to be. So I don't fault or blame the fan base for thinking that LSU is the biggest game of the season. But I think we're really talking about semantics over the wordage, yeah. uh, which I can't believe it just said wordage. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's, yeah, it's talking about the, right. It's talking about the biggest game. It's not necessarily the most important game, but I do, I'll give that to people because I understand that because LSU is the first big game of the year, it's going to set the narrative, right? Yeah. You got to uh, set yeah. the tone. Right. It will set the tone for some of the rest of the season, or at least that's what the takes are going to be. So yeah. while I think Clemson is the more important game, because that's how you really measure the progress of this program, because Clemson has set the benchmark for this, this conference, right? If, if you're going to start winning ACC titles again, you have to go through Clemson. Right. That's just the way that it is. Um, but I can see, and I understand the argument for LSU being the biggest game because it's going to set the tone for the rest of the season, or at least that's when the takes are going to start coming out. Well, and I think a good, a good way for you to look at it, John, is, and I think that's just how we ended up on different sides of the coin, but maybe the way you're looking at it, if I gave you the choice to win one game this season, you would pick Clemson. Probably, yeah. Probably if you I would. guarantee one win, you'd pick Clemson. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I don't, I think, I think the way I was looking at it was like, if we were to, if, if we were to win one game, like, I guess, you know, if I can set it up, I was like, well, if you can beat LSU, that probably sets you up for more success going there. Cause you have the bye the week after you're probably, I don't know, I guess you could get overconfident and go to Louisville and lose, but you know, I mean, I I'm seeing it that way, but I, I don't, I don't know if I disagree. And now that I'm well, hearing your argument for Clemson either, I think it makes sense where if it's like, Hey, if Clemson comes to town and we beat Clemson, it's like, Hey, that's a huge win. Well, that's the thing, but to your guys' point though, if we beat LSU, I mean, everyone's going to be telling lies, right? We're all going to go nuts about how good this team is going to be. We're going to win nine games or 10 games or whatever the case is. And I do think that the LSU is more vulnerable than Clemson, right? Yeah. I do think that they are for all the reasons that we talked about. So I, I we all really, really, really want this, this LSU game. It feels in a lot of ways um, very similar to the Oklahoma game, right? Was that 2010 or 2011, whatever year that was, Um it feels very much similar to that. We all really want it. Is this team ready? That first matchup with Oklahoma, the answer was no. Um, so we'll see how this one, if this one turns out differently, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. Here's Tommy's take from the article. LSU set the tone for the season and run with it, period. That was it. Tommy gave yeah, us, there he goes. Thomas gave us one, he gave us one sentence. <laughs> no, John, John's thinking more perennially. And I, I like that. It makes sense. We all should be. Um, I guess that's how you look at it. You know, if you lose to LSU, that sucks. But if you come around and beat Clemson, that and and go on, I, I really think LSU is, is is the game. But I understand John's point. The 
LSU doesn't matter next year unless you're talking about recruiting and it doesn't matter two years from now. <laughs> but I, I, I see what, where everyone's going with it. Well, I think it might, it might matter two years from now. Isn't there a game in Orlando? Oh, there, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I think so. But no, it's fine. I mean, go ahead, John. Well, like watching the, we were talking, Brian, you and I, right before we started recording about the coach, the interview coaches, right? I was listening to the interview with um, Adam Fuller and Alex Atkins on Tomahawk Nation. And they talked a lot about mental toughness, right? They're trying to get that mental toughness into this team, responding to adversity, which is they obviously, I think we can all agree, they did really do a great job in last year. Um, they kind of got better as the season went on, but that's something I think to, to Tommy's point that it may answer this question for us, right? Is how mentally tough are they? Even if they lose to LSU, can they, can they rebound or does that really, does that really set the tone for the rest of the season? And John, I think here to your point, I'll read you the, the three answers from our article from the comment section. Uh, Coleman Nolman said, uh, so all together now class quote, <laughs> what is the biggest game of the year for our beloved Florida state Seminoles? Those beastly, horrible, pathetic Florida Gators. All right, class dismissed. A great answer. Uh, Rob Oregon gave us the biggest game will be LSU game. Need to win that on national TV, which I think is a statement we've already said. Uh, and this is the one I wanted to get to, though. A 35 pound, 34 pounds sack with underscores in between there. Hopefully you mean tackles. Uh, Louisville is most important because win or lose against LSU, we need to see how Norvell can get the team to respond in the next game on the road versus an ACC team right before a slew of other tough ACC Atlantic division opponents. Win or lose against LSU, great. You still have to go on the road against Louisville. And I think that's a good point. I mean, yeah. it's for it, but I, I guess where it comes back to me for this one is like a program like you are, they're all big games. Even, yeah. I mean, even Duquesne. You have to win. <laughs> because win. what we saw last year, all of them are big games. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot of seasons past uh, at Tomahawk Nation about how FSU used to get the shaft by the conference where you, you would want to support one of your premier or your flagship uh, program, and the ACC didn't do it. And this year I felt like their schedule was fair, even maybe a little bit more than fair. I didn't think it was bad at all. So, yes, you have to take advantage of it when you can. Yeah, and I and I think I really just dropped the greatest knowledge nugget you may ever get from Seminole Rap in the history of this podcast. All the games are important. That is analysis, friends, and that's the that's the beauty of college football, isn't it? Well, I think we're gonna that's shut this pod down now. Yeah, that'll do it. I think that you, we can't get any better than that. That's all we've that was got. The peak. Uh, well, I, I think I will actually call it for the night, though. Uh, for Brian, John, and Tommy, we're talking some. Practice, and I think next week we'll be back looking probably full season. And uh, what do we hope to see against Duquesne? Uh, obviously, I don't, I don't think we're going to have to pick a winner in that one, but I think we'll kind of give you an overview of what you should watch for, what we're going to watch for, and then obviously the week after that we'll be back with a recap and a look ahead to LSU. So until then, for John, Tommy, and Brian, that's a wrap.
Who knows?